When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps also available to you at 0862 103 103. And as we heard at the weekend, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, revealed via a tweet that Russia had agreed to relocate the contentious military naval exercises to outside of Ireland's exclusive economic zone. The Russian ambassador to Ireland confirmed that Russia's Minister of Defence had made the decision as a goodwill gesture in response to requests from the Irish government and the Irish South and Fish Producers Organisation with the aim not to hinder fishing activities by the Irish vessels in the traditional fishing areas. The drills will now take place outside of Ireland's exclusive economic zone. Patrick Murphy is CEO of the South and West Fish Producers Association and he once again joins me. Good morning to you, Patrick. It's a pity you don't have a camera. You'd see the jig I'm doing here. Um, Well, listen, (laughs) I couldn't have been more proud of you when I saw that uh, tweet go out. How was the news broken to you? Online, we got a same as everybody else. We've seen the tweet. Look, first of all, we have to thank yourselves, the media and everybody else. I'm on the pier here now, so there's a bit of background noise. The boys are getting ready to go fishing. And they're delighted to do so. I better step away a bit. But Patricia, all praise isn't to the Irish South West or anybody else. It's the media. It's the people, the movement of people, the people that commented. Everybody that played a part in this, that spoke up for us, are the ones that deserve the accolades for this. Because without that, it wouldn't have happened. And that's the truth. People power. Yeah, but it, but it also is a perfect example of how dialogue done in a calm and a very reasonable way can work. Well, I'll have to put, give that credit now to the ambassador, to be honest with you, because you hear me enough on the radio, <laughs> I wouldn't be the most careless of he was. But, but you went in there to get a message across to the ambassador in the hope that he'd get the message across to, to Moscow. And you obviously achieved that. I mean, you were confident leaving the meeting because I spoke with you afterwards. We were 100% confident. And the man showed his measure and how we could trust him by the tweet he put out. Yeah. He he mentioned the Irish South and West. How often would you see a diplomat stepping away from the political arena? I seen uh, the, the week in politics last night, and not one of the politicians that was on mentioned the Irish South and West. Not one. The only one they mentioned was Simon Coveney. And at the same time, I want to thank Simon Coveney 
for his role in this because he assured us and gave us the clear message that what we had been saying was correct. And not only that, he sweetened the path by saying that they were moving out of our EEZ. Because, listen, about it's not only about protecting the fishermen, it's about protecting the fish. And you know what the best bit of news we had for the weekend, genuinely, was our EU Commissioner for Environment and Fisheries, Sir Vignius, uh, sorry, Virginius Servignius, our EU Commissioner for both of them. I know his name is a mouthful, yeah. but he deserves great credit because you know what he's after christening us? The custodians of the sea. Hey, hey. absolutely! <laughs> That's a wonderful title uh, to have. And Donny from CNN was in uh, Castletown Bear at the weekend. I'm I mean, looking this... at him. Oh, is he still there? <laughs> he's still there. He he's hasn't... on with Paul Byrne now from TV Three. He hasn't got. Yeah, hasn't got slipped across to Carlos Avin to Mammy yet. No doubt that will happen poor, soon. The poor but... man. He's. I, I, everybody says what a lovely guy. What they don't realise is the amount of work he puts in. I know. It is constant. Yeah, he he's earned his position where he is, and he is a really nice, genuine guy. He always has a smile on his face. Yeah, and besides besides the commitment, obviously he's over there working for CNN, but he, all of the other media that look for him to speak, he willingly gave of, of of his time. But what it has done is, I mean, it has really put the spotlight on the fishermen of West Cork and the fishermen of Ireland. I mean, you, it's become an international story. It has, and, uh, you know, I'm still trying to count the interviews that we're on, and I can't keep up with it all. So it's surreal. It's surreal. But, Patricia, never mind the rest of them, though. You were there first. You're the, <laughs> the ones that's constant. And you might laugh now, but it is the truth, and the listeners know it. Well, and that's where it starts. <laughs> you know, we always look abroad and everywhere else. We forget to give praise to our own local heroes. And Patricia Messenger is my one. Ah, you're, you're extremely kind. And what, what do you say to the... Because it infuriated me when I was hearing people saying, oh, are those fishermen thinking about it? The Russians will never listen to them. They're wasting <laughs> their, 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 their time. You must have been aware of all that dialogue going on. We did. But you see, Patricia, I thanked them as well because they kept the story alive as well because somebody else had commented on their comments and, you know, it kept it alive. And sure, we, we, we're all different. And if we if we acknowledge those differences, we might get on a bit better. That's true. That's true. Has the marine warning been lifted? That's a good question, no. And uh, I would like you to raise that question to anybody you can because we are the same. Well, they brought it in late on the night, so hopefully now they'll have it removed. But this 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 is a communication error um, between the departments. We had one minister coming out at one half past one. And then a Minister Coveney coming out at five o'clock with a totally different story. Like so, you know, there, there's, there's, they have to work on it themselves, you know. And it's that was issued from the Transport Minister Eamon Ryan, wasn't it? Is the Department of Transport issues that? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll send an email off thing, and see. There's one thing. No, we, we we did break another story this morning, Go right? On. Because we 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 don't just get involved in this. Our efforts for our fishermen is multifaceted. We are dealing with laws from European uh, Commission, regulations, directions. You, you heard us on about the penalty fines law. But one of the ones most dear to the heart now is the atypical workers for the lads from uh, the Philippines and uh, Egyptians, you know, coming into our country, doing what we did when we went out to America. And it, they're not being treated fairly. And we're coming out with it now because we're fed up with, of trying to work with the departments 
to get a resolution of this and it's going on for years. So we had okay, when, when, okay, when you say they're not being treated fairly, who are they not being treated fairly by? Our government and the system that's there is not fit for purpose. And there was reports from the Minute uh, University and it, it was laying that it was the fishermen's fault. We have to follow the legal provisions put in front of us and if they're wrong, we look to get them changed. But you can't crucify us for trying to look after these lads, even though if we do so, we're going to be illegal and then we're liable to be called traffickers. And I'll explain it to the listeners like this. When our diaspora went to America, can you imagine if our government rang up the authorities over there and said, listen, lads, if you can find any of the Irish who are hiring the illegal Irish over there, bring them in and prosecute them. Call them traffickers. That's what happened to us. So these lads now have had enough, we've had enough, and we're asking our government now, follow what Simon Coveney is after doing for us, meet us, talk to us, fix the problem. And these are workers that you can't, there's no Irish people to do these jobs. Well, you see, this is it. The last question to me is this. It was raised as well. Here's Here's the thing. Anybody, and I mean anybody, man, woman, wants to go fishing, my name is out there. Contact me and I'll help you set up a career in fishing. No problem. Even anybody from the EU countries, we're always looking for good people to go fishing. But it's a hard life. Yeah. These lads that come from the Philippines come from a fishing background, you know? So they know the industry. They know what's involved. And it's a tough job, you know? And and we have even sons and daughters of fishermen. It just doesn't suit them, you know? So they don't end up going to sea. Others do. It's a tough job. And we deserve the credit for those that go out there and do it. And, and here's the thing. Imagine, Patricia, that uh, the Ukrainian thing boils up. Food supplies and everything is going to be hindered. And isn't it mad that us, with the richest resources of food, both on land and at sea, are being told to get rid of them? Mm. Makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Okay. And one final question to you uh, that so many people want me to ask you. Uh, Have you a career in politics? Uh, We'll see. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot asking me now, but we let the public decide that. Would you you consider it? (laughs) I'd have to talk to my wife first because I do this job 24-7. I don't think there's enough hours in the day I would find to do what's needed to be done in a political role because you're either in it or you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it, well, it, you it'll have, be a huge commitment. Can I say you have the skill set? Listen, say hi to Joni uh, Forrest and CNN and you look after yourself and we'll speak again one, soon. One second. He, do you know he might say a lot to you? All right. <laughs> do you? Tony from CNN. It's a messenger from... Hello. Hi, Tony. How are you doing? Uh, I, I'm listening. <laughs> I appreciate how busy you are. We were watching you live on uh, CNN. You've met our wonderful Patrick Murphy, someone we can be very proud of here in Cork. Absolutely. Pa- Patrick. Patrick's a real character. Uh, he asked me not to swear live on radio. <laughs> oh, please don't. Please don't. And, and the Americans are enthralled by him by all accounts. Absolutely. I, I think uh, people in America are, are very impressed with the diplomatic and negotiation skills of um, of the fishermen here in Castletown Bear and, and all around the Cork and, and Kerry. Um, and look, it's, I guess, a kind of happy ending to, to, to this story in, in that uh, at least the, the fishermen we've been speaking to here, Alan Caldwell and others, tell us, you know, it's one less thing to worry with 
this week as they as they hit the water. Okay, and you can let the um, the um, the American government know. Patrick, at a very small cost, is available for any negotiations. <laughs> that, I'll hand you back to Patrick. Uh, okay, here. okay, and listen, you look after yourself. Thanks a million. There you That's, go. Uh, well, you're very kind, Patrick. You're very kind. Listen, we'll leave, we'll leave you away. Stay safe, and we'll speak again soon. Okay. Thanks. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. That's uh, Patrick Murphy, CEO of the South and West Fish Producers uh, Association. And a number of people wanted to say well done to the fishermen. They should be running the country. Congratulations uh, to them. Eileen and Kilbrins are delighted to hear that man, uh, Patrick Murphy, what he did for the fishermen and indeed for the people of Ireland. Let us not forget, while he was there representing the fishing organisation, what he has done for the people of uh, Ireland and so many other people wanted to send on their very best uh, wishes and for all of our fishermen to please stay safe. Michael in Castletown there says Patricia hi Patrick Murphy and his fishermen deserve massive congratulations and praise for their brave step into the unknown they should move swiftly forward by heading out to Brussels without hesitation uh, as I know from past experience that they will listen to common sense and to their problems yeah and you know strike while the iron is hot the, the media attention from the world is on them at the moment so it might be the time uh, to move uh, for sure. Thank you for that uh, Michael and hope you're keeping well and somebody else who's got a lot of spotlight on him uh, at the moment is Rafa Nadal and I can honestly say hand on heart I don't think I enjoyed a tennis match more yet for and I stuck with it. I got up at seven o'clock yesterday morning to watch the Australian Open. The tension. I actually had a pain in my neck at one stage. You know when you realise that you're sitting very tense uh, watching something? It was the most incredible game of uh, tennis. And I was rooting for Na- Rafa Nadal. Uh, I have to say, because bearing in mind, just a few months ago, here was a tennis player that was on crutches. He was actually contemplating the end of his tennis career. He had a chronic uh, foot uh, injury. And then yesterday, he makes it through to the final of the Australian Open, playing a guy 11 years, I think, younger than uh, him. And he puts up this age-defying display to now have him recognised as the greatest men's tennis player of all time with uh, 20, he won his 21st Grand Slam uh, yesterday. And I mean, on top of the fact that a few months ago he was on crutches with this chronic uh, foot injury, he was just returning to uh, fitness, fully vaccinated, and he tested positive for COVID-19 about a month ago, but he got over all of that and it was just incredible. As I say, I don't know if you watched the match yesterday morning or not, but I just loved it from start to finish. Uh, finish. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And can I just update you on something that happened on uh, Friday? Dennis in Charleville uh, contacted us uh, to tell us that for over a month, the traffic lights near Aldi and Holy Cross Place in Charleville were covered with a notice saying out of order. And he was saying a month on, no work has been done to fix it. And he got on to us to say, could we find out what was going on and any indication as to why? The traffic lights hadn't been fixed because obviously they're badly missed and uh, could we find out what was the reason for the delay. So we got on to Cork County Council and they got back to us to say yes they are aware that the lights are out of order at Near Aldi and Holy Cross Place in Charleville but they say it's no longer possible 
to secure replacement parts for that particular model of traffic light. As a result of that, Cork County Council now has to seek quotations for the supply and installation of new lights and I have no idea how long that process actually uh, takes uh, because that's all they said, that they're looking for quotes for supply and installation. So I take it from that it will be uh, another number of months, weeks certainly before that traffic light issue gets sorted in uh, Charleville. Sorry that I can't be the bearer of better news for Dennis and others in Charleville but thanks to Cork County Council for their response. 0818 103 103. Now with hopefully a good tourism season on the way after a two year near shutdown of the industry, is now the time to have a really good look at Ireland's tourism sector and see if we're maximising its full potential. Ireland South Fianna Fáil MEP Billy Kelleher thinks so and he joins me. Good morning to you, Billy. Good morning. And you're welcome. Now, pre-pandemic, roughly, how much was tourism worth to the Irish economy on an annual basis? Well, I mean, if you're just talking about the Republic of Ireland and in, uh, inbound tourism, it was worth about £6 billion, so which is quite a substantial amount of money. And then you put on top of domestic tourism, and if you take an all-island basis, you know, it was well up around €9 billion. Uh, Euros. So it's quite a significant and important revenue generator and also a job creator as well. But I suppose the point I'm making is that we offer a very good uh, package to tourists. It's a, it's a high-value destination. Many people want to come here. But because of COVID, because of the changes in airlines, uh, the, 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 the fact that, you know, many, many um, air inline tourist offerings may change their patterns because of the COVID pandemic and all that has been going through the industry in the last two years. That we should maybe look at how we, you know, what we offer first and foremost, uh, where we are competitive and where we need to do more. And the reason I say this is when you look at uh, countries like Iceland, for example, which would have a, a, an awful lot smaller number of tourists visiting, but at the same time, an awful lot more spent per tourist uh, in Iceland. And I just think we maybe have to reevaluate where we're marketing, where we're targeting uh, and the packages that we're offering. So, so, that we, so, so we have the tourists, we have the visitors arriving on our shores, but they're not spending as much. Well, they're, they, they are spending quite, a, quite an amount of money. But I mean, for the volume of tourists that are arriving on the island, we certainly, I believe we could probably maximise. And, you know, we should also target other uh, markets uh, that traditionally wouldn't have been looking at Ireland. I just think now is an opportune time to do that with, with, with marketing tools and targeting other areas besides the United States, uh, the big countries in Europe like France and Germany where we've targeted, and obviously Great Britain, that we should look beyond that. And the reason I'm saying is we, the average tourist spend is about €72 Euros per night in Ireland. Like A country like Iceland that has an awful lot less in terms of offer, um, you know, the average spend is about €140 Euros per night. Oh, that's so, almost double ours. Yes, it's almost double. So, I mean, clearly Iceland is a dear destination for yeah. this, but we don't want to follow that particular model. But I certainly think there's opportunities uh, for the type of package that we offer whereby we could maximise the spend from tourism without necessarily becoming a very dear destination. Yeah, well, it's that. it's interesting that you mentioned that because you will hear many people complain that we are um, an expensive country. You'll hear both domestic and international visitors uh, say that. Do, do we need to make sure that we're offering value for money? Well, yes. I mean, value for money is, is the critically important thing. I mean, most people, you know, look at countries and target countries based on 
uh, value for money. But at the same time, there is a, a tourist out there that is willing to pay you know, a, a bit more than the average uh, for um, additional services, um, additional facilities, you know, and a different type of package. And I'm just uh, concerned that if we keep doing what we're doing, we may miss that tourist that is willing to spend a bit more than the average. And that, I think, would benefit the economy, obviously. It would increase the spend, and it wouldn't necessarily put an awful lot more pressure on on, the, on tourism because of the sheer numbers that are coming to the country. You know, I mean, certain areas during the summer are at almost maximum, and that means that, you know, rather than bringing more tourists, we just need to see where we can get more from tourists in terms of additional spend without it necessarily becoming a dear destination. Yeah, yeah. And of course, many uh, people, Billy, did a, a staycation for the first time over the last uh, two years. Is there potential there to expand the market for the tourism sector? Well, there is, of course. And certainly from from a tourism perspective, and we hope that there's a couple of good years for tourism, the tourism industry, that's the hospitality, hotels, pubs, restaurants, you know, the, the, the tourist offering in general, they've been after a very traumatic two years. So what we want to see now is, you know, a lot of people uh, coming to Ireland to holiday and wherever, you know, staycations uh, can come in, in place. But what we don't want is the staycation competing with the overseas tourists. In other words, that prices just go up either for those that are staycating or for the overseas tourists coming in. What we need to do is ensure there's additional capacity uh, so that we're not just pricing either the staycationer or the overseas visitor as well. So look, I just think in evaluation, uh, we have an exceptionally good package. We have a very efficient tourist industry across the entire island. It's a sought-after destination, but I just think that uh, with a bit of creativity, with a bit of research and, you know, assessing the market that are out there, um, tweaking what we offer and how we market that offer uh, certainly, I believe, could increase the spend um, rather than necessarily just bringing in additional tourists um, competing with those that are trying to holiday in Ireland, vacationers. You know, that is just undermining the concept of what it's about, which is extra revenue for the state, job creation um, and increasing overall revenues uh, to the industry and to the exchequer. And this is probably a good time to do it, Billy, because there is there is an appetite there. People will want to travel because people haven't been able to get away for the last uh, two years. So we could expect a good tourism season this year. Yes, and on top of that, like when you look at what's happened in the last two years, you know, literally the tourist industry across the entire world collapsed. It was closed down uh, for lo- long periods of time. So the traditional markets and people, you know, traditionally going on holidays every year to the same place uh, may change. Patterns will change. Airlines are looking at different travel routes. They're looking at different options because of the fact that, you know, they were on the ground for so long. They weren't flying. So they may go to other destinations. They're released from contractual obligations. Uh, they may be changing the types of aeroplanes uh, uh, they have. So, you know, whether it is for longer haul or shorter haul. But I'm just making the point there's a huge upheaval uh, happening across the entire tourist industry globally. And I just think that we should be uh, in there doing the research, uh, critically analysing what we offer and, you know, just making the changes that I believe could increase the revenue spend um, that would benefit tourism and obviously the country as a whole.
Okay. All right. Uh, listen, a good suggestion, uh, Billy. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. That is MEP for the South Fianna Falls, Billy uh, Kelleher. Let's take a look at the tourism sector and what can we do to maximise it to get the full potential from it. 0818 103 103. And Marion Rathcool wants to say well done to Donny Lucy, Leo Fitzgerald and our own Joe Heffernan. Uh, she said it was a brilliant fundraiser yesterday for what she describes as the flying machines in Rathcool. That was the fundraiser where they were launching the CD in aid of the community air uh, ambulance. Mary said we had a brilliant uh, day and she describes our own Joe Heffernan as a pure gentleman. We could have told you that, uh, Mary. He's a lovely, lovely guy and of course we'll be speaking with Joe tomorrow on the programme. So good to know that the launch of that CD for the community air ambulance went well yesterday and actually on the community air ambulance we remember on Friday we mentioned that the firefighters from Mallow Fire Station were out doing a car wash. I saw a video, I'm sure it was Stephen Murphy from the Mallow Star put up a, a video that seemed to have a huge amount of cars turned out to the Mallow Fire Station for that uh, car wash, which of course was again all proceeds going to the Irish Community Air Ambulance. So a lot of good fundraisers at the weekend for a very worthwhile cause. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Following incidents of vandalism and criminal damage, councillors in the Carrigaline area expressed their frustration at the lack of active Garda presence in the town, with some saying more patrol cards are needed, along with boots on the ground. Local independent councillor Ben Daunton O'Sullivan joins me with his uh, views this morning. Good morning to you, Ben. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning to your listeners. You're very welcome. Now, Carrigaline is a growing town. Have you seen any increase in Garda numbers to reflect that increase in the local population? Um, I suppose when you look at boots on the ground, Patricia, there's been a very small increase of just one or two here and there. But I suppose like Carrigaline is a nice town. It's a very safe town. And I suppose what the people are looking for there it's just a full-time Garda station station that the door is open, there's someone behind the counter and they can stamp the forms and they can speak to the people. And look, I suppose it's not a big ask either, Patricia, um, but, I, you know, looking at nationally, looking at the figures, we have the fourth lowest um, Garda numbers in the country, which is, you know, quite startling for a town of over uh, 10,000, I think. So um, there's certainly a bit of work to be done down there. Yeah, and that big issue, as you say, is the local Garda station, the fact that it is not opened uh, 24-7. It it opens, what, so many hours a week, is it? It does. So at the moment, it's kind of opening Monday to Thursday between 10 and 1, and then on a Sunday again from 2 to 5. But I suppose for a town the size of Carrot Line, you have 20,000 people in the greater area. You have Ballygarvin, you have Passage West, Crosshaven, Milan Bridge, all the different areas around it. And like for a town of 20,000, those few hours in the week aren't good enough. But what I would say, Patricia, is that the town is full-time policed and that the community guards they do fantastic work down there. And they're well-liked in the community and they're well-connected in the community. Um, but I suppose going back to 2019, it was an issue then for the local elections. And when I was elected to Cork County Council, the one thing I asked when I joined the council and Declan Hurley was the leader of our grouping, um, in the council and I said to him I said Declan would you give me a seat on the Joint Policing Committee which in fairness um, he obliged and I've been a member of that committee since 2019 and I suppose I've been putting forward the motion since then um, trying to get some action from Garda level to try and get extra Garda allocated to the station 
Yeah, and I know the argument that's always put forward by the powers that be that make the decisions on the opening hours of Garda stations. They're always saying, look, if you're going to allocate Garda, you're better off having them out on the beat or in patrol cars than sitting in offices you know, stamping forms or, you know, sorting out somebody's passport, uh, whatever it is. But that's where civilian Gardaí have a role to play, isn't it? Exactly. And I suppose when I put in the motions back in 2019, um, in 2020, I put in a very similar motion. And at the time, the the Garda management came back and said, look, we're willing to look at civilian staff um, for the station, which is basically someone who will be doing the desk duties in the office, answering the phone, stamping the forms, etc., and um, look, they committed to looking at civilian staff. And then we come along to Budget 2022 and the Minister announced that 400 will be recruited across the country. And, you know, straight away, Caroline, in my opinion, should be up the list. For whatever reason, we've two senior ministers and a teacher in the constituency. That should count for something. But, um, you know, I, I wrote to the Minister of Justice at the time and at the last meeting, then I looked for an update and they said to me, look, we'll be considering it and over the next 10 days there'll be meetings and we hopefully will have some good news in about 10 days time. Okay, I mean obviously in the ideal world you'd have that guard the station open 24-7 but you know, let's be realistic, that's not going to happen. What what would you like to even see, 9 to 5? Do you know, 9 to 5 would be a good start yeah. and like just the, the station, like the town of Caroline is full-time policed, policing isn't the issue down there but it's the station and I think, you know, especially in a town of that size the station needs to be open you know, people need to be able to go in, speak to the local guard or the civilian uh, guard in there and get their form stamped, you know, answer the questions. It's, it's a community service more than anything. And Carrick Line, and I'll say it again, it's a very safe town. It's a great town to live in. It's a great town to be a part of. But I suppose the station is that just that piece of jigsaw that we need to get right. And I imagine, Ben, if you speak to the older generation in Carrick Line, they'll probably remember a time when there was a guard, the sergeant, full-time based there, along with so many uniformed guardi. Exactly. And so it's kind of for that older cohort as well, you know, they, they like the traditional way of doing things and like to have the guard inside the station and like even the community guardi that are there, they are fantastic. You know, they're involved in different committees around the place and they they're, they know the people around, that they're well linked in locally and that's very important too. But just to have that person sitting behind the desk would mean an awful lot to people and I suppose, you know, going back to 2019, you know, the, the, the issue was still there. But now we're moving along. And because the civilian guard, hopefully on the way, we're now nearly there. You know, so I think we just keep the pressure on now. Um, we, you know, I'll I, be in touch with different uh, people um, in the next couple of days. And um, the next policing committee then will be around April. And we'll try and get an update then. OK, I was disappointed to read that there was some instance of vandalism on the parklet in Carrigaline. That's right. And, you know, huge credit goes to the Tidy Towns, you know, going back to 2020. They kind of designed that, you know, around the Project Act of Cork County Council. Um, and it, it really is fantastic. It's a place right in the middle of the town where you can sit down and you can enjoy a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something there. But, like, the Tidy Towns do fantastic work there. And, unfortunately, some people decided to cause a bit of vandalism, cause a bit of hassle there, um, which was unfortunate. Um but look, I suppose all we could say is huge credit to the Tidy Towns. They, they absolutely made a fantastic job of it. And it's just unfortunate to see those incidents um, in, a, in a town like well, Carrigaline. It's, you know? it's frustrating and I, I get so angry about it because the Tidy Towns people, they're volunteers. They give up their their 
own free time to go out to make an area like Carrigaline, the beautiful place it is to live. And then you've just got some mindless vandals who think it's OK to vandalise something. It's just really frustrating. Would, would, would CCTV help? Um, CCTV would help, but I suppose we're in a kind of a corner in Cork County Council and that's the GDPR regulations that we need to kind of look at and make sure we're compliant with all them. So CCTV, you know, that that's kind of a bigger job than just Yeah, it we up. did. Actually, so we, we carried an interview about that um, only last week, that there needs to be proper legislation put in place yeah. to cover all of the local authorities when it comes to CCTV so that you can use the footage. Exactly. And like when you look at different examples around the country, I think in Geneva County Meath, they had a brilliant scheme where it was community-led and they, they appointed someone as a data controller and like little community schemes like that should be looked at as well. And I think our county council are kind of open to looking at different uh, ways of doing it. So hopefully there'll be some progress there in the next um, couple of months there as well. OK. And in the meantime, hopefully some good news, you reckon, on civilian Gardaí to man oh. the Garda station? Hopefully some good news. Look, we're long overdue this in Carrot Line, so we'll be keeping the pressure on. And fingers crossed we'll have a nice update soon. OK. All right. Listen, Ben, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Patricia, thanks a million. Good Bye-bye. morning to you. That is uh, Carrigaline Councillor uh, Ben Dalton O'Sullivan. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. And Dan says, Patricia, would you please give a mention and a shout out to the presentation senior Camogie team in Mitchellstown. They won the Monster Final yesterday in Nina. Congratulations, presentation senior Camogie team, Mitchellstown winning the Monster Final. Well done and congratulations. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Still getting in uh, calls and texts in from people uh, reacting to the great news that we had at the weekend that the Russians deciding to move their military exercises outside of uh, the Irish waters, which obviously gives such great uh, comfort to the fishermen who were the ones who were going to be most affected by it. Uh, Joe in Kilmallock was listening to my interview with Patrick Murphy of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. And Joe says, Patrick Murphy always comes across as such a gentleman. Well done to the fishers. They are the ones who should be running the uh, country. Yeah, and it was the point, and you're right, whenever I've interviewed Patrick, he he comes across as an absolute gentleman. And I imagine that's the very same way he came across when he went to the Russian embassy last Friday, when people were poo-hooing it and sort of sniggering at the idea of a couple of fishermen going in to meet the Russian ambassador. And as one person by text on this programme even said, what, they expect the Russians to listen to them? Well, they did listen to them. And they listened very closely to what Patrick had to say, got on to the Kremlin and the Kremlin decided, OK, yeah, let's keep it safe for the fishermen in Ireland. And they've decided to move the military exercises. And as I mentioned to Patrick, it's it is the example how if how when you do dialogue and when dialogue is done in a very calm and a very reasonable and a very measured way, it shows that that kind of dialogue can work. And maybe there's a bigger picture here and with everything that's going on in the Ukrainian border and maybe those at higher level of politics can learn from the fishermen of Ireland to maybe dial back some of the rhetoric and maybe get around a table, get into a room and have that dialogue in a calm and reasonable way and maybe we could see 
we could see that situation sorted out as well. We can only wish, I suppose. Thank you, uh, Joe in Kilmalik, for that. And then there was a lovely tweet that made me smile, if I can find it here on the screen. Uh, Daryl on Twitter. This was when Donny O'Sullivan joins, joined us from CNN at the end of my chat with Patrick. He put Donny on. Daryl says, I just got an unexpected call from my ecstatic mother in Cork to tell me that Donny O'Sullivan was live on C103 giving an impromptu interview. The ultimate crossover for her. The man has reached Daniel O'Donnell's level status of fame with the mothers of Ireland. <laughs> everybody, but well, everybody loves Donny. He just comes across as such a nice, nice guy. And even because Patrick had been talking about how busy he was and the amount of work that he is doing. And yet when Patrick goes over and says, will you have a quick, quick, quick chat with Patricia on the local radio there? Not a bother to him. Not a bother to him. Lovely, uh, lovely guy. And hi, Patricia. I'm absolutely delighted with this successful conclusion for the fishermen of Ireland and particularly the fishermen of West Cork. But it should never have happened. I said that from the start. It should never have uh, happened and the government should have done more well I suppose the government can do as much as they can do the the Russians are allowed into international waters I mean they went in they had their discussions as well and I think it was just backed up by the fantastic work that the fishermen did and however way the fishermen uh, put, put it across but they can't straight out say to the Russians you know they can tell them they're not welcome but they can't stop them coming because it unfortunately is uh, international waters then a number of people on about my interview with Billy Kelleher, MEP for Ireland South, who is saying, do we need, is now the time to have a full in-depth review of Irish tourism? And in particular, he was talking about the amount of money for the overseas tourists when they come into this country, the amount of money they spend when you take a look at what tourists spend in other countries and, you know, could, is there more money to be made from tourism, basically, is the point that Billy Kelleher is trying to make. Dan says, would you ever ask Billy there, where would you get a room for 72 euros a night? And ask him, what does he think if you did get it for 72 euro a night, they charge you 10 euro extra for the breakfast? I think actually he phrased that wrong when Billy Kelleher was talking about the average tourism spent, he said, per night in Ireland. It's actually per day. They do these surveys that show how much on average a tourist uh, spends. As far as I know, it doesn't include the, the accommodation. It's what's spent during the day out and about going for meals, maybe going, you know, to pay to go in to see a tourist attraction, what you'd buy maybe in souvenirs, just what you generally spend in the area. And the average spend per day for overseas tourists in Ireland is €72. Euro. That's according to Tourism Ireland. But when you compare that to the equivalent tourism body in Iceland, in Iceland, the average spend for overseas tourists is €140. Euro. Now, I know, and Billy did say it, Iceland is uh, a more expensive country, but they still are spending more than what they are spending in this country. But it has led a lot of people to talk about and I did touch on it with Billy Keller that we are an expensive country anyway and we constantly hear from people certainly over the last two years with staycationing I, once we got into this holiday season we, there wasn't a day went by that we weren't getting calls in from people who felt that they were ripped off or they felt that things were too expensive you know and were, were, were critical of the tourism model in this uh, country somebody says tourists are not spending money because they're being overcharged wherever they go in Ireland I paid €2.40 for a cup of tea and by the way I had my own cup with me I had one of those keep cups €2.40 for a cup of tea this 
this listener feels sounds very expensive. And someone else says, Patricia, €72 a day is the average tourist spend, according to Tourism Ireland. You'd get nothing in Ireland for €72. And I knew when we were going into this interview that I was going to open that floodgates of people saying we are just a very expensive country when it comes not just for tourists. We're an expensive country where we see lately with the way inflation is rising and everything is going up. And with everything going up, it'll be interesting when the tourists do come and please God, they do come in great numbers this summer. Are they also going to notice the prices have risen if they are return uh, visitors? Someone says by WhatsApp, Patricia, Ireland is so expensive already. The reasons people travel to other countries is obvious. They go to see the sites, but they also go because accommodation and eating out and going to see attractions and jumping on a bus or jumping on a train are all cheaper in other countries than what we pay in Ireland. Normally, a family would travel with children. There's very few families could travel to Ireland with children who could afford to do that here. Living in Ireland in general is expensive, never mind to holiday here. And one wonders, is we see, we don't seem to be down on tourist numbers. We definitely have a huge number of people visiting our shores every year. Well, we did uh, pre-pandemic. What Billy Keller is saying, the research is showing that once they get here, they're just not spending the money. But as I say, I knew the floodgates were going to open on the cost and how expensive everything is in this uh, country. Hi, Patricia. It's so good to hear that carers are getting the big bonus, the €1,000 pandemic payment. They so deserve it. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Now, I don't know quite what you mean by your WhatsApp there, but just to let you know, when we spoke about carers, family carers are not getting that pandemic bonus. It was the home helps who work for both the HSC and who work for private companies. They are the ones that are going to be included. We mentioned that on Friday. But I know Family Carers Ireland, they have been fighting tooth and nail because they feel that the home carers, the people who worked looking after their family members, some of them are getting carers allowance. Many of them are not getting carers allowance. They felt they should have been included in the bonus as well. Uh, but certainly it's been ruled out so far. 0818 103 Lots in the papers today remembering the bloody Sunday anniversary, the commemoration that happened yesterday in Derry. Huge crowds attended the commemorations and it was 50 years to the day and of course the 50th anniversary fell on a Sunday as well, an atrocity that saw 13 civil rights protesters being shot dead by British soldiers and of course a 14th man died about four months later following the injuries he received on that day uh, 50 years ago. There was many of the family members were speaking at the commemoration and there was one family member in particular, Michael McKinney, his brother William was one of the 13 who were killed on Bloody Sunday. He criticised the British government for seeking to ban prosecutions. He says they are trying to deny us justice because they're scared to face justice. It's hard to think that 50 years on they're still fighting for that justice. But our own uh, Taoiseach Micheál Martin, he was uh, in uh, Derry. He was laying a wreath as part of the 50th anniversary commemoration and uh, I did hear him urging the British government not to proceed with this amnesty for the killings during the Troubles, which is what is happening at the moment by the British government but we remember all of those who died in Bloody Sunday yesterday and just I think of and I was I lit a candle yesterday just at about 10 past 4 yesterday because that was around the time that the first 
the first shot uh, rang out. And when you think about it, this was a civil rights march. These were people who were marching uh, for their rights at the time. And it was an utterly peaceful pro- protest and a, a peaceful march. It wasn't even a protest. It was a march. And then you could imagine the fear factor when the bullets uh, start to ring out and all of those families who lost, you know, loved ones went to a march, never came home. Thinking of their families, their families have never, ever been the same again. And then I open up the papers today and I think of another part of this country that really has never been the same again. And that's the little village, would you call it a village, I suppose you would, of Granard in County Longford. Would you believe on this day, 38 years ago, A little girl by the name of Anne Lovett died after giving birth alone to a stillborn baby boy and it was beside a grotto on a a steep hill overlooking the town of Granard. It was a cold and a wet January day. She was just 15 years old and on the 31st of January 1984, dressed in her school uniform, she headed for the grotto, was in labour, gave birth to this little stillborn baby boy. Three boys then walking home from school, found her close to death with her baby wrapped up in her coat. The baby was dead beside her and was taken to hospital and she died later that day. And actually the Irish Independent today have a big piece on it talking about you know, now almost four decades later and they, they're speaking with a school friend of Anne Lovett who believes that the village of Granard has never ever healed from that tragedy and she points to the fact that still to this day 38 years later there's still no memorial to Anne or to her little baby which uh, subsequently later was named um, Patrick but we remember uh, Anne Lovett and it's just it's a it's a different Ireland isn't it back in the in 19 in 1984 but back in the 80s it was an era where unmarried mothers as they were spoken about at the time were just being treated so harshly and you know her friend talking in the papers today was you know talking about what that time was like and that Anne would have been aware of the mother and baby homes there was already talk about the mother and baby homes and at that stage and that would have terrified her she wouldn't have wanted to go there as a teenage girl. She would have been terrified. Now, what went through Anne Lovett's head when she went to the grotto to give birth to the baby, what her long-term plans were, I just I just don't know. But it's just one of those sad cases and we will remember her name. Her name will be remembered, I think, uh, forever. Uh, may Anne Lovett and her little baby Patrick, may they rest in peace. 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs. Chefs are wanted for the Lep in in uh, West Cork. You email the Lep in 1832 Please apply with your CV to hr at duconconcrete.com. And an apprentice available for a security technician in Mallow working on intruder and fire alarms, CCTV and electric gates. Call Michael at 087 2547056. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie 
forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And just a couple of other texts uh, coming in. Stephen wants to know... says, hi Patricia, do you or your listeners know of any reputable dating sites? I'm in my 50s. I'm always slow to recommend uh, particular dating sites. I don't have any experience of dating uh, sites, uh, so I can't personally give you any any advice uh, on it. But I'm always afraid of, because I've heard from other listeners who got stung by some dating sites and dating agencies, I suppose, in particular. Be very careful of the dating agencies. But dating sites, we'll put it out there for Stephen. He's a man in his 50s. I mean, I hear of younger people talk about Tinder. I hear people talk about Plenty of Fish, but I've, I've no way of, know- of knowing is it suitable for a man in his 50s. And I'm sure there are lots of people listening in their 50s would like to meet up with somebody and uh, would like and are using dating sites so let's see if we can put a shout out if anybody can give advice please to Stephen looking for reputable reputable dating uh, sites in the hope that Stephen could meet somebody and then John was on to say there are so many undocumented in Ireland and if like those fishermen that Patrick talk about they're trying to get the fishermen who come into this country to do work, go out on the trawlers that Irish people really don't want to do because it's such tough work and they're having problems getting the paperwork and getting the visas that they they need. And uh, Patrick said that is now their biggest problem at the moment in order for the trawlers to go out and to uh, fish. Uh, John says, if those fishermen need to come into this country, all well and good. But if people are coming into, into Ireland, their documentation surely must be checked first. We cannot have people arriving into this country country and not working. If they wish to work in fisheries, then sort out the documentation and let them work here legally. And that's exactly what Patrick was talking about. But just on undocumented, when when you say in your comment, John, that there are so many undocumented, I was surprised to hear the figure from the Department of Justice. They reckon there's up to 17,000 undocumented people living and working in Ireland of which 3,000 of those are children and because of that a new scheme is opening today which will allow thousands of undocumented migrants and their families to seek official permission to reside in uh, Ireland. It's the Justice Minister Helen McEntee. She's described it as a once in a generation scheme and she reckons it'll improve the lives of thousands of people and she said these are thousands of people that have contributed to society because they are working so they are paying their uh, taxes but she said they are still very much living in the uh, illegal shadows and she wants to rec- rectify uh, that. Uh, she was speaking earlier on national radio and she said the scheme is not an open-ended one and people will need to fit certain criteria and obviously to apply. She said the aim is to process applications as quickly as possible and she hopes that some of the first people will get their decisions by the end of this year. So they're obviously going to try and not complicate the procedure. Applicants will need to have been resident in Ireland for a four-year continuous period. The Minister said that a potential for a window of 90 days has been built into the scheme and that would allow for someone to have left the state for valid reasons to come back and say that they want to remain in Ireland and she says once a person can show that they have a four year period upon documentation um, she said on humanitarian grounds uh, she says that these people should be allowed uh, 
to remain in this country and then be allowed to travel home because of course some of them a little bit like the undocumented the Irish undocumented in, in America they are there are so many undocumented in America who are working away Irish people and something's gone wrong at home and they've never been able to jump on a plane and come home because they're so fearful that they're going to get caught out as undocumented and maybe not get back into the country so that's a move that's just been announced today by our own Minister and it could benefit thousands I was surprised that the figure is so high they reckon at least 17 at thousand. 0818 103 103. Now, we are putting a photo up on our social media site today in the hope that somebody may be able to identify all of the people in it and to give the background to how the event took place. Paul Gallagher of Castle Magna GAA Club joins me now with more details. Uh, good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm I'm very well, uh, thank you. Now, this is just such a terrific photograph that I suppose shows a, a different era in this country because it's a picture of a very crowded pub. It's a photograph of members of the All Blacks rugby team in a very busy pub. The pub is Lyons' Bar in Cecilstown, taken sometime in the 80s. Tell me what you know so far about how this picture came about. Well, as you said, Patricia, this is obviously an absolute treasure, this photograph. There are many pubs that I imagine throughout the length and breadth of the country would love to have had the All Blacks called in to them. Now, the photo actually dates back to the 70s. It's back to 1974, I believe. Now, we have just verified that, but we never had the names of the individuals that were in the photograph with the exception of one or two. Obviously, Mrs. Lyons is pictured in the photograph on the right-hand side. She's behind the bar. And to may, her left... May, may I say, looking very unfazed by the fact... Absolutely. ...that she, that she cool has these, <laughs> these very famous rugby players sitting up in the bar and yeah. she's just pulling, it, pulling her pint of Guinness. Didn't knock a shake over. <laughs> so she seems to be quite bemused by all that's going on around her, I'd imagine. And as you could imagine, obviously, to have the All Blacks come into your premises is something that would be unheard of today. You'd have a media posse surrounding them. But what happened on this occasion was the All Blacks were out shooting pheasants in Lowhurt Castle. And they were there, invited by a man by the name of John A. Mulcahy, who was an interesting enough individual. I'll talk to you about him later. But... He brought the All Blacks out there. He had the shooting rights in Lowhurt Castle. Where, by the, where is Lowhurt Castle? Lowhurt Castle is down in Cecilstown Village. Okay. It's just about a kilometre away from the pub. And did Jack so. Murphy regularly bring people shooting there? Jack Mulcahy. Oh, Jack Mulcahy. Did he regularly? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did indeed. He was... Jack Mulcahy or John A. Mulcahy, or Jack, as he's better known, I suppose, yeah, he emigrated to the United States in 1923. And he was one of a family of 12. Uh, he was fifth eldest, and he made it big over there. He was involved with a company called Quigley and & Company, and Quigley eventually got taken over by Pfizer's, okay. and he became a major shareholder in Pfizer's. He was a personal friend of President Richard Nixon. He actually features in the Watergate 
investigation as a person of interest that would have been on the phone on a couple of occasions to Richard Nixon, I'm sure, all social phone calls, but nonetheless, that's yeah. a claim to fame that he had at the time. Is, so, he, is he in the photograph? No, he's no, not in the photograph. Okay. No, I assume he might have been taking the photograph or oh, alternatively, his he, nephew was also, he would have been possibly there, he was a Paul Mulcahy. Yeah. So as to who took the photograph, I'm not sure, but I'm just only glad someone did because, you know, mm. these moments in time are few and far between. Again, a different era. You wouldn't Our have had, you didn't, and, and people wouldn't have had cameras on phones or even have had Absolutely. cameras, cameras um, uh, w- with them. You've managed to identify all of the All Blacks and I heard you on a podcast. You were on radio in New Zealand. Correct, Radio New Zealand. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, my claim to fame. <laughs> well, look, I tell you what happened, Patricia, was I kind of took it on myself. I had the photograph for a while in my possession, and I was always wondering again who the other members of the team were. Sid Going is the guy who's up front and central, the guy with the very distinctive moustache. Very so clearly, and everybody would know, know Everybody him. would know Sid yeah. Going, yeah. Super Sid, he was known when he was playing. So the romantic version of the story is that the photograph was taken in 1978 and the All Blacks went in drinking into Lines' bar and <laughs> subsequently Monster beat them. <laughs> Do or, not dare take away from the Monster win like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not, but, it's well, four years apart. I, yeah. yeah, I had to blow that one out of the water very early on because Sid Going would have actually been retired. He would retired in 77. So anyway... I was left with that nugget of information and then, again, I didn't have any names. So I sent it off to a few radio stations and TV stations and the New Zealand Rugby Union over the Christmas in the hope that someone would bite and take up the story from it. And that's essentially what happened. And yeah, and, and therefore you got the names of, of the... I got the names. Now, this picture was hanging, I take it, since 1974, was it on the wall Correct. of Lions? On the wall, yeah, yeah. the wall of Lions is bar. So it yeah. was one of those things people would talk about, and everyone would have been there on the night. Everyone would have said, "I remember being there on the night." Correct. Whether, oh, there was well, thousands of people there on the night. Don't you know yourself? And, well, a little bit like when Monster had the wind in 1978. Absolutely. The amount of people that it, were yeah. not there but claimed exactly. that they were there. Exactly. But there's a lot of locals in the background. There are a few locals, yes, and one being Thomas Lyons himself, and Thomas is the current owner of the bar, albeit okay. the bar is closed now. So Thomas was was Annie Lyons' son, and he'd be, on the photograph as you have it, he's second from the left. Okay. Thomas was only a young lad at the time, and his job was to pick up the pheasants after the boys shot them. And got, so pay, and got, and got paid for it. And, and, would, paid. and would Jack Mulcahy regularly bring in his shooting party? Into- he would indeed. Oh, okay. He would indeed. He would have rubbed shoulders now with the likes of Vincent O'Brien, um, Robert Sangster, he'd have had a lot of, let's say, um, the great and the good of society, lawyers, solicitors, etc. And it was a common occurrence for them to go shooting for the day and then to rock on up to lines and and, and, and enjoy and enjoy a few enjoy days. I mean, yeah. even to think of the members of the All Blacks inside in a rural pub, it's just, Correct. It's, it really is, it's, it's an incredible moment in time. It, yes, it is hard to imagine it, all right. And 
as I say, this photograph was in lines and they were just unassuming about its origins or the significance of it. And I just felt that it was a story that needed to be told. It's obviously part of the social history of Thistlestown Village. Thistlestown Village has undergone significant changes since that photograph took place. There was two pubs in the village. There was shops, there was a petrol pump and a post office. All of those are closed now. And here we are now, let's say the pub closed down just before COVID. It would have closed down the 4th of January 2020 and just before COVID kicked off. And here we are now after coming out the other side of COVID and the village has no pub or all of those things have been wiped out. And that's reflected in so many villages absolutely, yeah. around the country, un, un, unfortunately, unfortunately. Where is the photograph now? Tom Lines has the photograph. Um, I have, there's obviously a number of copies of it knocking around, but Tom has it framed in his own house. So my intention is that once I get all the names, if possible, that I will put a caption underneath it and then show it. Yeah, be lovely, so, be lovely. And as you yeah. say, so many people would have gone into lines over the years and will know exactly the photograph oh, you're talking yeah, about. It, it, yeah, it was a common talking point, but as I said, no one pursued it beyond the, the 1978 story. I said, yeah, that'll suit me grand. Okay. <laughs> but in actual fact, 1974, there was a local man here from Mill Street who would have played with, or played against the All Blacks. Who is that? John Coleman. Okay. From, from Mill Street. The, the car salesman. Yeah, yeah. He would have been a. He would have actually won uh, won an All Ireland Senior Football title the year before with Cork in nineteen seventy three, and he'd have played against the All Blacks. He was a very prominent rugby player at the time. So he played so he both. Actually, he played. He played both GAA and rugby. He did indeed. He oh. did indeed. Which again was yeah unusual. So not many did that. Not many did that. No, not yeah. many did that, yeah. and particularly in that era. Okay, so people can contact you via Castle Magna GAA Club. We're Correct. putting it up on our social media as well. It's, it's it's terrific. Have you ever done anything like this before, Paul? Are you kind not of at a, all, no. no. you're not a bit no. of an armchair detective or anything, no? <laughs> no. Not really, no. It was just one of the ones, um, maybe it was COVID brought it on. I'm not sure, but you know, it's just one of the things I said I'd take up. Well done, well done. It's a lovely story. Thanks yeah. a million for that, Paul, and thanks for joining us. Before I let you go, actually, would you do me one favour? I will. I just need to give a shout out to my son, Billy Gallagher. He's working up in Mallow General Hospital. Okay. So he'll never forgive me if I don't give him a okay. shout. Okay, hi to Billy and all the gang at Mallow General oh, the Hospital. They're, Mallow they're General. a great gang there. Thanks for that, Thank Paul. You. Uh, Thank you. Bye bye. That is uh, Paul Gallagher joining us, PRO of uh, Castle Magnar GAA Club. As I say, we'll put it up on our social media. It's just, it is just. A fantastic picture and the late uh, Annie lines. I just think it's Annie's face, you know, pulling the pine, turning to the camera, going, what is all this fuss about? And then you can clearly see all of members of the All Blacks sitting on the counter. But the the one that most people will recognise, people who would have known the All Blacks in the 70s is Sid going. He is right out the uh, front. We wish Paul luck in his quest to find out who all of the other people in the photograph are. 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103
103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Tommy Fleming, so often described as the voice of Ireland, has confirmed the resumption of his nationwide 30th anniversary tour, now at full capacity, as restrictions have finally been removed in concert venues. Tommy Fleming, I'm delighted to say, joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Tommy. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Are you beyond excited to be able to get back and to be able to get back to full capacity concerts? Do you know, I mean, lots of people are complaining and giving out that they didn't get enough notice, blah, blah, blah. Um, do you know what? I'm thrilled to answer your question. I'm absolutely delighted. It's normal. is seem to be returning. I just hope it stays. Um, it's. I suppose the challenge that we've been given really is because everything stopped at 50% pre-Christmas, <laughs> we now have to do like, about three months' work in about three weeks and try and get that last 50% up and get the people in the door. Um, but, you know, it, that's a great complaint to have. It's worse if the door was closing. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that's how I'm looking at it. Had you had you been expecting the announcement, the one that the Taoiseach made that Friday evening? Had you been expecting it to go to 100%? Mm-hmm. Not I we were expecting it maybe we thought the time might change, but not the capacities. Um so I mean look it was it, it, it's a bonus. I know there's people saying they didn't have enough notice and they didn't have this, but is isn't this a good thing, I yeah. hope, I think. You know, and I, at the end of the day, the one thing I didn't want to do, like there's an awful lot of acts have po- postponed again. Uh, the one thing I really didn't want to do, Patricia, was to postpone and keep kicking that can down the road because you know, it's not fair on, like, everyone wants to get out, not just musicians and singers and performers. The audience want to get out. So even if it's half full or three quarters full, that that's what it is this time. So it, the people can get to see a concert. Do you know what I mean? And there is a desperate urge and a desperate need to get back out there and to feel like we're back to normal. And going and sitting and watching a, a play or going to one of your concerts or going to the cinema, whatever it is, there's just so it's just such a feeling of normality about it. There's a feeling of, I how somebody described it one day to me, I thought it was a brilliant description. He said, I've got that feeling like I got when I got my leaving search results <laughs> or when you get a good or when you get a good result from the doctor and you're coming out the door going, yes, that's fine. That's the kind of, or when you pass your driving test, yeah. they're the kind of, they're the kind of feelings you have of you want to go out, and you know see a play. You want to be able to sit down and have dinner and sit at a bar, or you want to go and see somebody perform on a stage, and listen to music again live, and and feel normal, get dressed up and go out and and because. It's funny, you know, I, I think I'm turning into my mother and father, Patricia, because I said to myself, <laughs> I think I'm turning odd because I would be kind of people that say to me, will, you, will we go to such a thing? And there's eight of us going, I'm thinking, oh, do I have to go out? <laughs> listen, <laughs> so listen. I'm, feel, I'm feeling somewhat in, institutionalised. Yeah, that's, um, that's look, a it's, huge, it's that's a huge problem for, I think, so many people. And that's why we all, and I'm constantly saying it here on the programme, we have to push ourselves because we, 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 we all, through no fault of our own, turned in on ourselves. We need to to get back out there there's a big beautiful world out there and we need to get out there and celebrate it and you know something music not only touches the soul it heals the soul particularly the type of music that you perform it does and thanks for saying that um but the other thing that i think is brilliant about music is it's such a universal language it transcends politics it transcends religion it transcends all of those things 
and it just gives you that. The one thing that going on stage performing for me has always given me is that two hours where I'm away and nobody can touch me. Nobody can come near me. Nobody can call me. Um, all of those kind of things. But the one thing music does and the amount of letters and emails I've got, Patricia, over the last while thanking me for doing certain a certain song or doing, you know, nobody realizes how much that does for me. You know, um, it's it, it's just a, it's a great feeling to be able to come back and be able to do it. You know, well, let's call a spade a spade. You did your own bit during the lockdown as well with your, your the, the, the the singing from the Jeep. And then when you set up Tommy's Tavern, you know what I mean? You gave <laughs> you gave people a lift as well. So let's let, let's call it out for what it is. You, you, you did your bit for sure. Now, how many venues will you be playing on on this tour? We're doing about 20. Um, 20. We opened last weekend in Ennis on the fifth, on the Saturday. The, the, lift, the restrictions lifted at six o'clock that morning. So we had no, we couldn't kind of, we were, there was no way we were going to get extra seats sold in three hours. Um, but you know what? It was, I was delighted to be back. Um, but we're doing about 20 venues. And one of my favourite venues is this weekend in the Cork Opera House, uh, Friday the 4th and Saturday the 5th of February. And there's plenty of tickets available um, because we're trying to, as my my mother had a great description once, Patricia. She used to say, when you're trying to do too much, my mother used to say, you're trying to, it's like trying to keep the tide back with a sweeping brush. <laughs> And I and now now it's the opposite because we're trying to get the tide to come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so Friday, you know. Friday and Saturday night of this coming weekend with tickets available because normally when we get to talk to you this close to a gig, we'll be saying sorry, all the tickets are gone. You didn't move quick enough, but there are tickets. We're in the unique position. There, there, we're in the unique position of saying we've room and we've got tickets. Okay, and you know, like, and I understand that some people may be wary about coming out and. You know, at the end of the day, if this if the seat's available, then come out and you take take a socially distanced approach to it if you want to, by all means, you know. Um, and do you know it's I was somebody I was chatting to somebody earlier on yesterday, and I said at the end of the day, I'm 30 years doing this, and if it all stopped in the morning, I've had a great run at it. But the ones that I really feel for are the young artists that are starting out and that are kind of up and coming and they'd only started prior to the, all this kicking off and they're desperate to try and kind of make up a few rungs on that ladder and you know support not just support me but support all of those up and coming artists too they really need it as well Yeah and there's all the people behind the scenes Tommy all the ones that you know you come out front on stage with your band behind you whatever but it's all the work that goes on you know lighting the sound the, you know, even down yeah. to the, the, the person that sweeps the floor inside in the opera house so many people rely on this industry for employment well, I mean, in my team alone, Patricia, when we made the decision, and it was an, it wasn't an easy decision to make because it was I was frightened to make the decision. When we said we were going out, and we know that we're kind of where we could lose or we could break even, and we might be all right, but there was a lot. There's an awful lot of people relying on us in our own camp. So, like, we've 23 people in total that come on the road with us. That's a big gang. So they have, you know, they have mortgages to pay and they have lots to do and you know, bills to pay too. So, and there've been two years without that. Now I know that's not my fault. It's nobody's fault really at the end of the day. Um, and that's why I kind of, we made the decision three weeks, two weeks ago that we just made, let's go, let's jump. Like, it's like almost like that scene in a nature program when the wildebeest or the buffalo jumps, makes the first jump into the river and that never knows whether they're going to make it across or not. But sometimes you have to make those decisions. And, you know, 
I hope too many artists don't keep postponing because of, you know, lower sales and because people are still kind of maybe wary or scared to go out. I think somebody has to make the move at some point. Well, well done. For, you're, doing, you're, you're being you know, the brave one, somebody else brave to one to do it. We spoke to you before Christmas. You were, uh, you just launched your, your latest album all, all these years. How did that go for you? Yeah. We got to number one uh, hey. two weeks before Christmas, which I was delighted with. Um, but then, of course, Adele beat me. <laughs> Who cancelled who cancelled her residency in uh, yeah, Vegas, let's be honest? Vegas, I know. Yeah, yeah. our I Tommy's mean, not cancelling. But if, so <laughs> so this tour will be a selection of the songs, I imagine, from, from those albums, will it? From that CD? It is. And yeah. it's funny, the songs, we, when we went into rehearsals, I started some of the songs I didn't remember because the last time I did two of the songs, one of them was 22 years ago and another one was 27 years ago. And I had to go back and get the words and relearn it, really. <laughs> and it's funny. I'm Honestly, I had to go back and relearn it because I hadn't sang it in so long. And it's kind of, I'm going back down the road, if you know what I mean, a kind of pain. And there's some, there's some lovely stories attached to the songs, some sad stories. But it's a, the night is a night of, of reflection. It's a night of remembrance. And it's a night of... Um, I suppose you know what it is. It's a nice, a nice, it's a nice out, a night out, and it's an evening with, and it's kind of music and chats, and kind of just a, a reflection of everything that has gone on, yeah, not any, only in my career but of everything. You anyone, know? I mean, I've I've been to your your concerts before; they're always wonderful. And I, lo- I mean, besides, I love we go for the singing and the, and the music, obviously. But I love the the banter. You're you're, you're such a natural story a storyteller. <laughs> Do you? It, none of that is scripted, is it? No, it's not. No. Um, sometimes it can be very dangerous <laughs> because some, I've, I've an awful, I've, I've a foot and, I've foot and, I've foot and mouth syndrome. Um, I put my foot in it too many times. I don't, put, I don't think before I say anything. And I could say something that I've, I've grown better at it. <laughs> but there's times that I, there's times I could come out and tell something that I really shouldn't tell. Um, and, but it's funny. Most people, you know, um, I, I told a story, I can't tell it on air because it's just a bit too wrong the other side. And it involved a, a local priest and a local, it was at home where I grew up. It was very funny, but um, I told that one and that went down a bomb one night. Um, and there's just many stories that I reflect on. And I suppose my family have been like that when we were younger. My dad was a great storyteller. He was brilliant at telling old stories. Like we'd be all sitting around, you know, like in the, in the winter and he'd tell the story of the, the snow of 1947 and we, television would be turned off and we'd love to listen to these stories. So it was, I think, I don't think it's off the grass I licked it, to be honest. Yeah, and never lose it, <laughs> never lose it. It's, it's such a great gift. So Opera House, Friday and Saturday night of this weekend. Tickets are available at the Cork Opera House um, 021-427-0022, And just to let it, because I'm very aware and conscious that we've got people outside of Cork listening. You're in the Clamwell Park Hotel on Sunday night of next weekend for those in Killarney and the INEC on the 4th of March and you'll be in the Limerick University Concert Hall on the 5th of March and did I see when I went on your website that you heading off then to Spain have you got some tour in Spain coming up yeah we're doing we're just out of tour we're doing a holiday Um, it's kind of the the travel company approached us two years ago to see what we do kind of um, an evening of songs type of thing in 
it's not kind of, it's not a dancing weekend you know like how there's kind of the country music weekends are the weeks that they do in the sun the hooli in the sun or whatever it might be this is very much more of music it's kind of irish music and there's a there's a gang of us going and so there's there's kind of a concert every night and there's you know dancing by the pool during the day it sounds and brilliant there's all that it's kind, be honest, it's kind now, of a, be honest are you and tina getting a free holiday out of it of course we are <laughs> <laughs> minute I saw it oh that sounds like fun <laughs> listen enjoy it it's a pleasure yeah. and I can't wait to have you live in studio and hopefully before too no, long I can't we'll wait be, to we'll in. Be guests. it's always a pleasure to talk to you look after yourself and uh, we'll speak you again too, soon Patricia. take care and listen thanks a million for all the support and no especially problem. to all the listeners it's been it's been amazing thank okay. you so much thanks a million bye bye and I can see lots of people take saying care. so great to hear Tommy on your programme today he really is a star the wonderful Tommy Fleming got to take a break we have news at 12 midday on the way Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie you're listening to Cork today on replay Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming into the programme. Pat wants to know, does anybody have any news of the hazel tree outside of Mallow reopening? I certainly haven't heard anything, but does anybody know if the hazel tree has any plans to reopen? I passed it couple of weeks ago and it's very forlorn looking and it's you know such a place that was so vibrant for social dancing and people out there and it was always such a busy spot sad to see it so empty looking and no cars around in the car park car park etc so if anybody knows when the hazel tree in outside of Mallow is reopening can you let us know Pat and I imagine a lot of other people would love to see that reopen reopening okay we've been talking about the Russians and the fishing and the moving their military exercise to outside the the waters where our Irish fishermen will be fishing, still getting in. People saying, well done to the fishermen. Diplomacy at its very best. Uh, Tim says, people are aged 60 and over will remember when the Soviet Union were given the cold shoulder in so many countries, it was because of invading Afghanistan. The Soviet Union, a very different entity from Russia is today, was glad of having their planes refuelled at Shannon and their factory fishing ships taking on fuel in Castletown Bay. Of course they paid for the fuel and any other food that they needed. I don't know if the fishing crews were allowed to come ashore for a drink at that time, but Tim remembers them coming to refuel a very different era in Indeed. And a number of people are commenting on the piece that I mentioned about the undocumented in Ireland. And this is something the Minister Helen McEntee has announced this morning. It is a new scheme and it's been opened today, which will allow thousands of undocumented migrants and their families official permission to reside here in Ireland. The Department of Justice, now they can't be clear on this figure, but they reckon there could be up to 17,000 undocumented people living in Ireland. And many of them are actually working and paying taxes, etc. But also included in that could be anything up to 3,000 children. So they've decided to open up this scheme. I think she described it as a once in a generation scheme and allowing people to put their documentation through and the the thought process is that their application will go through as quickly as possible and then they will be allowed to legally reside in this country. Now that's causing alarm bells for some of our listeners. Let me just give you an example. John sums up what many people are saying, saying Patricia, the scheme opening today, surely it's rewarding failed asylum seekers who at the end of the day are economic migrants 
We have one million people on waiting lists within the HSC. We have a housing crisis. We have some of the largest class sizes in Europe. What about people with criminal records? Will that be checked? How many of these people will end up on public housing lists, says uh, John? Well, trying to get as much information because it's a scheme, as I say, it's only been announced uh, today. It is going to allow whoever applies, their spouse, partner or children, obviously can be included into the application. I was surprised to see that those with an existing deportation order are expired student permissions are allowed to apply. I can understand the expired student permissions, but I was surprised to hear existing deportations. Is that somebody who's gone through the process and they've been deemed, no, you don't qualify? I suppose you don't qualify for refugee status, uh, so they can apply. Now, applicants, they say, must be considered of good character and obviously they must impose a threat to the state. But having convictions for minor offences by itself will not result in disqualification. Helen McEntee also spoke about an appeals process that's going to be in place. And then when she was she spoke in particular about somebody having a deportation order, she said that does not necessarily prevent a person from applying or being successful. Uh, but each applicant and each individual will be vetted. And she said if there is a serious criminal conviction or otherwise outstanding, she says that's something that the Minister for Justice will have to take into account and the applications. It's an online application process and it will be accepted for six months, opens today and it runs until the 31st of July when the scheme will close. I mean, obviously, the Migrant Rights Centre of Ireland, they're very much welcoming this scheme. They actually have been running a justice for the undocumented in this country and they've been running that for the last uh, 11 years. And so they have very much welcomed this and thinks it is a move in uh, the right direction. And actually a member of their group was making the point that I touched on earlier that the undocumented migrants here are just like the undocumented Irish that are in America that we always uh, talk about here. And we want the undocumented Irish in America who have set down roots and they've had children and they're working and they're contributing to the economy. We want them looked after. Well, you know, sauce for the goose, sauce for the gander. If we want our undocumented Irish looked after in the States, surely we need to start looking at our own un- undocumented uh, undocumented migrants living here. But I do think, you know, the worry, I think, for a lot of people, judging by some of the calls and texts coming in, is who are we allowing in? So I was glad to see the Minister say, I mean, minor offences, you know, if somebody has, you know, speeding tickets or parking fines in their own country. I mean, absolutely, I don't think that should go against uh, somebody. But if there's a serious criminal conviction or otherwise outstanding, she has said that's something for the Minister for Justice. I mean, if somebody puts in an application and there's a serious criminal conviction or something outstanding, I mean, to me, that's deportation straight away. There shouldn't even be an appeals uh, process. Maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but that certainly would be my view. And then another listener listening to that says Patricia listening to your comments about the undocumented people living in Ireland well my mother was Irish and moved to the UK as indeed many Irish people did many many years ago and obviously this person then was born in the UK and has now since moved back to Ireland I applied for an Irish passport I've been living here as a permanent resident now for nearly 11 years I have the vote and I would class myself as an Irish citizen the passport office keep rejecting my application for whatever reason they have I've phoned them I've written to them I've got all the correct documentation I paid the fee but now I've heard nothing for weeks it amazes me that some people who obviously have 
have no roots here are now going to be giving passports without any problem. I'm wondering what is uh, going on. Uh, thanking you. Well, the thing is, when when Helen McEntee is opening up this scheme and she's talking about regular, regularising this for the undocumented that are here, they will then be allowed to work in this country. It'll give them access to the labour market and then they can begin a pathway to Irish citizenship. She's not granting Irish citizenship to them straight away. They just will be allowed to work and then they can go down the path of Irish citizenship. But I'm unsure what problems you're having because surely you're applying for your passport because of your mother's nationality and and you're entitled to it, are you? Because your mother was Irish. I really am unsure. All you can do is keep on to the passport office and get them to try to explain on what grounds you are being uh, refused. And I don't know where your text, uh, where in the city or county your text is, is coming from, but maybe you could approach a local TD and present them with all of the information and see if they can look into it because I know all of the TDs certainly have great contacts within the passport office. At one stage, I don't know if it's still there, there used to be a dedicated phone line for TDs to ring the passport office to check on somebody's passport. I don't know if that's still there or not, but that's certainly a route that you could go down. Particularly if you say you are writing to them, you're emailing them and you've got what you say is all the correct documentation and for whatever reason you're not getting your uh, passport. And actually last Friday, we had a flurry of calls and texts in from people who were having problems with the passport office and were having problems with applying online for a passport. And I was kind of scratching my head saying couldn't understand it because the previous week I'd applied for a passport for my husband and it was very easy procedure, went online. We even took the photograph at home. We uploaded it. It did a quick check that the photograph was okay. Off it went, and within a couple of days, the passport had arrived. And it was just now it was a straightforward renewal of a passport, but it was a very, very easy uh, process indeed. I know it was the first time passport. I couldn't have done it that way, but certainly online. But the people who were contacting us last week were talking about the, the, they were straightforward renewal of passport, and they were just getting nowhere. And they, we were trying to find out what was was going on. It now seems there was a glitch in the computer system at the passport office in recent days and that was affecting the applicants of people who were trying to get their new passports using the online portal. People who were attempting to apply online were asked to upload all of their details, pay the required fee and at some stage in the process they would receive an error message and that's exactly what we were hearing from some of our listeners last week. A spokesperson for the passport office has confirmed that it was experiencing what they've described as intermittent issues now they say it was for a small number of uh, cases so I don't know how many people were affected but certainly there was a number of our listeners were affected by it so they've recognised there was a glitch in the system so I take it from that the glitch in the system has been sorted out to anyone who contacted us on Friday try again or maybe you tried over the weekend let us know how you got on but they are acknowledging that there was a glitch in the system and the other one that we're getting questions in about are for people who are planning on travelling and going away this uh, summer and leaving our shores and people worried about their COVID-19 vaccination certificate. It is as and from tomorrow 
that the new rules come in about your COVID certificate for travel. It's a significant EU-wide rule will come into force from the 1st of February. It means that the digital COVID certificate that has been used to facilitate so much international uh, travel since the middle of July last year now comes with an expiry limit of nine months. Anyone who received their second dose of their primary vaccine before the beginning of last May, they will require a booster if they're planning to travel using your COVID certificate. And we know the COVID certificate are gone for here in this country for going into a cafe or a restaurant or a bar. But you still need to have that COVID certificate if you're leaving our shores and you are flying abroad. Now, about 95% of Irish adults have had a primary vaccination course, which means they did get a COVID certificate. But there's only... About 80% have had their booster. So there's a, there's, a, there's a shortfall there. And the percentage of people who have been boosted falls significantly amongst the younger age group. And they're the ones who might head off to the gate to get onto their aeroplane all excited. And they get to the boarding gates and they'll present their COVID certificate thinking they're OK and they may be turned away. So people need to be very careful about this. Now, for a lot of the younger people, it's not that they didn't want to get their booster. A lot of the younger people ended up getting COVID-19. And of course, we know if you get COVID-19, you can't get the booster for three uh, months. So their COVID certificate may be out of date. But what they need to do, they need to get proof of having recovered from COVID-19 and they get a COVID cert issued that uh, way and people without a booster we're not they're not saying you can't travel you will be able to travel either either you get the proof of recovery from COVID-19 or they're also saying you can travel if you take a PCR test within a set window before you travel so there are other ways to do it as well and by the way for anyone the 80% of people in this country who have had the booster and if you have received your updated COVID certificate at this stage the EU are saying that they are not proposing to extend a period for the certs issued based on the booster shots. So there's no end game at this stage. Okay, at this stage, there's no uh, validity period on the booster one. So that will come as comfort, I think, to a lot of people. 0818 103 103. A reminder to you, it's Monday. So Annalise Dressel, a nutritional therapist, will be joining us. If you have a question for Annalise, get it in. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Happy news for the good people at Kilbrin because bingo is returning tonight at the Kilbrin Social Club at the Community uh, Hall. The Cope Foundation appealing for people to support their fundraising campaign by taking part in their walk. 300,000 step challenge for the month of February. You can check out the full details on the Cope Foundation webpage or on the Cope Facebook page. Weekly meetings at the Mallow Active Retirement Group. They're back now every Tuesday morning. So tomorrow morning at 11am, Mercy Centre in Mallow. All are welcome. And please note that masks are essential. And Ballinhasic Clothes Collection have been on to say that their clothes collection to raise funds for the Marion Hall car park continuing this week in Ballinhasic. Half six to 7.45 on Tuesday and Thursday evening of this week and then again next Saturday 
between half two and four. Used items of clothes, shoes, bags, bedding, towels, all welcome. But no duvets or no pillows, please. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And William in Kilbehany has contacted the programme this morning. He was out and about doing some travelling at the weekend. Good to get out. William, well done. He was in Kinsale Passage West and Rochester. And he was keeping a very keen eye on diesel prices on every garage that he passed. And he said it averaged about €1.63 in all of the areas he was in over the weekend. And he said, lo and behold, he was in Mitchellstown today and he spotted one of the garages there. It's gone to one sixty-eight. He said diesel prices are getting so high. And I don't know if you were with us if you were listening to the programme last Friday, William, we actually dealt with petrol and diesel uh, prices because the latest survey was out from the AA talking about how much diesel and petrol has gone up just in the last 12 months. It's been shocking the way it has increased. And if you look back over the last two years, because we were talking about people who are returning to the office, people have been working at home since the start of the pandemic. Those poor people are in for some rude awakening if they have a long commute before, you know, they might have got in and to work with 50 euro worth of diesel or 50 euro worth of petrol in their car suddenly they're seeing that they need 70 and 80 euro worth to do the very same uh, journey and William I don't want to be the bearer of bad news but on Friday when we spoke with the AA and I particularly wanted to see was there any sign of fuel prices coming down and unfortunately there isn't in the foreseeable future and we've got the added worry of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and that's making nervousness on the world market as well and that's only adding to the pressure and then of course we know our big problem in this country is the amount of taxation we have on every single litre of petrol and diesel. Your money is going straight to the exchequer and that infuriates people. Can I just give you a very brief um, update on Leaving Cert students because I know a number of our listeners have Leaving Cert sons and daughters who are all very nervous and anxious about the Leaving Cert of this year and that June date will come will come in the blink of an eye. Reading in the papers today it's now starting to look more and more like an exams only Leaving Cert is what is going to be on the card for the class of 2022. A final decision now it still hasn't been taken Work continued over the weekend, looking at all of the various options. Obviously, the hybrid model is the one that a lot of students are still looking for. But after the talks at the weekend, it's looking less likely that a hybrid model will be introduced this year. The hybrid model, of course, involves giving the students the option of either taking accredited grades based on their teacher's estimated uh, remarks which is the one most popular by the uh, students. And also, like they did last year, they got the accredited grades and they could also sit the exam and they'd take whichever was uh, the highest. There's strong opposition to the use of accredited grades for a variety of reasons this year, uh, including the way that they increased grade inflation over the last two years. I know the Education Minister, Norma Foley, she really seems to be pushing to go back to the traditional exam-based exams for the Leaving Cert and she is expected to make a decision either today or tomorrow at the very latest. Exams only would come with a commitment to greater choice on the papers than have already been announced along with a marking system that it would ensure that the overall grade profile was on par with last year. Now whether the students will take comfort from that but it certainly would level the playing pitch for this year's school leavers because their concern 
concerned that the grade inflation for the last uh, two years, 2020-2021, is going to put them at a distinct disadvantage if they're trying to get into college based on the CAO points. The Department of Education and State Examination Board have been focusing on a return to this exams only, the traditional leaving cert uh, exam with some adjustments to the exam. However, the extra disruption to teaching and learning caused by the Omicron variant, there was many students, you know, have missed school or they've missed class because their teachers perhaps weren't available through either getting Omicron or having to stay at home as a close contact. That was putting huge levels of stress on students and on the parents as well. We keep hearing from a lot of parents, the education authorities, though, what they have constantly pointed to whenever the idea of accredited grades for this year's Leaving Cert class is mentioned. They keep pointing out that about 25% of the Leaving Cert class of 2022 do not have a junior cert result. And that's going to be a massive battle barrier to the use of accredited grades because in the past two years the junior cert results were used as a benchmark against the likely performance of the same cohort of students in their leaving cert but 75% of the current leaving cert class they did transition year so they sat a junior cert in 2019 but the 25% of the leaving cert class of this year who didn't sit transition year they missed out on a junior search because they should have sat their junior search in 2020. And of course, that's the first year of the pandemic. That's the year that it was uh, cancelled. So that is a big, big stumbling block when it comes to the accredited grades. So that's just the latest update, but it is looking more and more like the traditional option of an exams only leaving search as I say, we'll either hear today from the Education Minister, Norma Foley, or uh, tomorrow. But I think at this stage, and I know we spoke about this on the programme, Last week or the week before when we had a young Leaving Cert student on with us from the Patrician Academy, they were about to leave the classroom and go out and protest and they were very much looking for the hybrid uh, model. But I think clarity is needed so that the students know for once and for all, this is what's happening. You're going to go into an exam hall and you're going to sit down and do an exam and maybe clarity in some way might help with the stress levels because I was listening to a GP just after Christmas from up the country talking about she couldn't get over the number of leaving cert students that she had into her GP practice suffering with anxiety about the exams and particularly the young girls getting very, very anxious and very worried and very stressed. And she said, you know, it was leading to panic attacks, etc. So I think if nothing else, they need to know for once and for all, you know, draw a line under it. This is what's happening. And then, you know, they can knuckle down and move on from uh, here. But certainly if it is going to be an exams only leaving search, you're going to have a lot of students very upset about that because that's not what they have been calling for. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. We are looking for questions for Annalise. Please get those into us. You can text or WhatsApp your questions as well to 08. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 6-2-103-103. Court today on C-103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C-103. Nutritional advice on C-103 with Somega, Ireland's purest range of health supplements to get you through winter. Better nutrition, better health with Somega, a West Cork company. GoSomega.com. And Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic joining me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Um, line one is it? Sorry, I've got that. No, line three. Sorry, I'm on the wrong button pressed. Good afternoon, Annalise. Good afternoon, uh, my, my apologies to you. Straight into uh, questions coming in. Marie's been on. Could Annalise please recommend uh, what what you would recommend for dry skin in your ears? Okay, so that's that's actually more common than you think, Patricia. Okay. So often I think it is down to um, maybe a shampoo that's not quite suiting you. So that would be the first thing to look at. A lot of people are allergic to sodium lauryl sulfate, uh, which is in most shampoos and a lot of other things, including toothpastes. It's used as a foaming agent. And for some people, that is the problem. So if you um, go and get a shampoo, a natural-based shampoo without that, and then when you're finished washing your hair, um, wash your, you know, wash your ears with it as well and then make sure you rinse it out. That could be one solution. The second thing that you could try is you could get some grapefruit, sometimes just a little bit fungally, like a bit of dandruff, Patricia. Dandruff is actually can be fungal. So the grapefruit seed extract, which comes from the seeds of the grapefruit, that's a really powerful natural antifungal, and it's great to use for anything fungal in the ear. You can use it on your fungal toenails, and it works really well. So what you would do is you would put a few drops on a cotton pad, on a damp cotton pad, and wipe it around your ear and do that morning and evening and it should start clearing it up. Okay, Dan and Shannon, I don't know if the same thing would work. He describes as having very hard skin at the heel of his foot. It can get so bad that it cracks, then it gets extremely sore. He's been bathing it in baby oil to try to soften it, but would you have any recommendations for him? Very hard skin on the heel of his foot. So 
that's quite normal. Again, Patricia, a lot of people develop hard skin. It's probably to do with the way that you place the uh, your weight on your foot. So the best thing really in terms of this is something that says exactly, does exactly what it says on the tin, and it's called Cracked Skin Cream. You can buy it in um, the pharmacy. I've seen it in Aldi before. And it's a cream with a lot of something in there called urea, U-R-E-A. Urea can be really, really good for exceptionally dry skin. And you'll get a whole range of those products with anything up to, I think, 3 or 5% urea in um, a normal pharmacy or booths will have it as well. And that's one of the best things for softening. Baby oil won't really work because the skin is so hard it can't absorb in. So what I would suggest is that you soak your feet in some Epsom salts, which will soften up the skin, and then put on that cracked skin cream or that urea cream. It doesn't have to be called cracked skin cream, just as long as there's urea in there. And keep doing that for a couple of nights, and then you can just, the, the, it'll heal up quite a bit, and then you can just use the, the, the cream going forward just to keep them soft. And it can get, if it gets to that stage where it cracks, it can bleed, it can get really sore. It can get very sore, yeah. yeah. The Epsom salts, foot, foot, um, Soaking as well, Patricia, will just keep it clean. And yeah, keep it soft, yeah. yeah. Uh, a Mill Street listener, question for Annalise, please. Uh, in omega-3 fish oils, does more EPA have the highest EPA and DHA of other fish oils? Not necessarily, Patricia, and it gets very confusing with fish oils because you can, the, the marketing around them can be very confusing. So, the different, the, what you look for a fish oil is, um, what you want in there is the omega-3 fats. And these are fats that we have to get from our diet. They're hard to get in foods. You'd want to be eating quite a bit of oily fish to get them. So to take it as a supplement, you want to have a look not just at the omega-3 content, but at the EPA and DHA content. Because they could say 1,000 milligrams of um, omega-3 or they might say 5,000 milligrams of fish oil. It's not really telling you how concentrated it is. So you need to look at the EPA and the DHA levels. EPA is icosapentaenoic acid. DHA is dehexanoic acid. So it's just different types of the omega-3 fish oil. DHA is really good for skin. It's good for the fatty tissue of all of our nervous system membranes. It's good for our brain. And then EPA, that omega-3 one, is very good as a natural anti-inflammatory. So it's brilliant to bring inflammation down. It's good for your heart. It's good for, your, for, um, for joints and inflammation. So that's what you're looking at. And while the more EPA has got ones that are very high strength, it also has lower strength ones. So when you pick one up off the shelf, just look for the EPA and the DHA. And my favorite one here, which is the Unocardio, that has 650 milligrams of EPA and it's got 450 of DHA. So you can see that's a very strong one. But if you want something more for your brain, you want it to be higher in DHA and it doesn't need to be as high in the EPA. So ask uh, in a health store. They'll be able to help you. Yeah. But so it's very, it's at. so confusing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very confusing, Patricia. And, you know, the other thing as well is like trying to get it in your diet, you know, with our farmed fish nowadays, they're not being fed. Um, I always try and get people to eat food in their diet that has the product, you know, what you want in there. But because they're not being fed good food, these farmed fish, they're not as nutritionally beneficial as they used to be in the past either. Yeah, you can't pick them up naturally. Kathleen uh, describes as her calves being constantly tight. No matter what I do, she said they remain tight. Any remedies? Okay, so that could be a couple of things there. Um, A lot of people would talk about 
sore muscles and restless legs and it can be a lack of magnesium. But if her calves are tight, it could be that there's tendons that are tight and that are not stretching out properly. Um, one of the most the beneficial things for, for crampy legs or for, um, for legs that feel tight is to stretch them out. If you go online and if you just look up um, good stretches to do after exercise, you'll get some really basic stretches that you can do at home. And what that'll do if it's a tendon issue is that it'll start training the tendon to pull out and to become a little bit more elastic. Um, If it's muscle as well, it will help. You can do it regardless of whether you've been exercising or or not. And then you might like to try rubbing in a magnesium gel just to support the muscle function um, and to get the muscles nice and relaxed. So stretches and magnesium is what I'd recommend. Anne says, hi Patricia, question for Annalise, please. What's the best supplement for borderline hyperthorism? I'm on a statin and I feel the symptoms coming back uh, since the last time I took a supplement a year ago. I've also started on olive leaf extract for cognitive fun- function. Okay, so is it hypo, Patricia, or hyper-ER? Hy- hypo, sorry, hypo. Okay, so hypothyroidism is where your thyroid isn't functioning as efficiently as it should be. And the thyroid hormone is really important for keeping your metabolism going. It keeps us warm. Um, it keeps our um, our energies up as well. So if you have a low thyroid, you'll start feeling kind of sluggish. You might get a bit constipated. Your skin could become dry. You'll find that you're putting weight on finding it really hard to lose and you maybe will feel the cold or you might find it hard to maintain your temperature so you'll be hot one minute cold the next. So the the essential things really for a healthy thyroid are first is iodine and again iodine can be very low in a lot of soils so we don't always get it from our food. I have a lovely supplement here in the shop that's called Tyro Plus and that has all the things in there for thyroid including your iodine, Selenium is another very important one because it helps convert your thyroid hormone into the active form within your cells. Tyrosine is um, a protein that's important for making thyroid hormone. This one has other things in there like the B vitamins, manganese, copper, sarsaparilla. So it basically has everything that you need to support a failing or a low thyroid function. So that one is called BioNutri Tyro Plus. But I know Nutri Advanced do a thyroid support. I think even um, Viridian is another company that do a thyroid support. So your local health shop should have a comprehensive one for you. And at the very basic level, if people want to do it themselves without going down that route of having, you know, an expensive supplement, kelp is very good for most people to take because it's a food. Your body will take from it what it needs and it will be rich in iodine and selenium. Okay, Mary says, question for Annalise, please. Is vitamin D safe to take? As I found online yesterday, that taking vitamin D can be linked to cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, etc. Thank you for your time and help. Um, You've got to be so careful when you come across articles like that online, don't you, Yeah, it's very confusing, Patricia. And like I think we've seen so much now as well with with all the COVID and the vaccine um, that there seems to be so many pro and so many anti that the middle has got lost. And it's very hard to figure out what's true and what's not true when you're reading anymore. So I think everything in, in, in moderation um, is, is, very, is generally good for the body. Anything in excess is not good. So if you have too much vitamin D, if you're taking too much vitamin D as a supplement, it can reach toxic levels, but it's quite hard to get there. I would be much more concerned about a vitamin D deficiency, and that's far more common. I do think that osteoporosis in Ireland is probably... Uh, more down to the fact that we don't have enough vitamin D, 
but we have plenty of calcium because we've we've loads of calcium in an Irish diet, yet we have a high level of osteoporosis. It's also so important for the immune system. We've seen loads of studies come out over COVID that the majority of people who end up in hospital are having to go on into ICU, have low vitamin D levels. So um, a lot of people who suffer from the seasonal affective disorder would be very low in vitamin D in the winter months. So I think you have to be careful. Some people come in looking for exceptionally high levels and doses of vitamin D. I don't think that's a good idea. I think for most people, a 1,000 IUs is more than enough. And if you're worried about getting too much, have your vitamin D level checked with your doctor. If you haven't been taking a supplement, um, now is a very good time. Now is actually probably October, November is a good time to have your blood checked because most of your stores from the summer will have depleted. And if you have been on a supplement and you're worried that it might be too high, have your blood checked while you're taking the supplement and it'll come back and it'll let you know where you're at. And actually, I was reading, and you can I see it a lot on social media, people talking about uh, have been taking vitamin D, particularly since the pandemic began, and the the unfortunate people who picked up COVID. The amount of people that I saw were, were crediting the vitamin D for the reason that they didn't seem to get, or they got over COVID much, much quicker than those who didn't take vitamin D. So there's a lot of pluses for taking yeah, it. Absolutely, because you see, before, I suppose, Patricia, we would have been working and outdoors a lot more in the summer, so we would have good stores. Then our animals would have been outdoors, um, you know, chickens and cows would have been outdoors so there'd have been vitamin D in eggs and milk. Now chickens are never outdoors. so you, I don't think you probably get any vitamin D anymore from an egg. And cows all do go in in the winter. So certainly in the winter months, we're not really getting it from our food. So it makes common sense to me that we do become deficient in the winter months. So, so I think supplement is the only way. Okay, somebody's had a recent diagnosis of shingles. Oh my God, what would Annalise recommend? Horrible, horrible, yeah. So with shingles, it's kind of a variation of of chickenpox. It's viral. So taking antiviral support is really good. And the olive leaf extract is absolutely lovely for that. Um, There's another um, few things as well that are really important for your immune system function because your immune system will take care of the virus if it has the capacity to do so. So to support it, you need vitamin D, vitamin C. Zinc is very important as well. So I would probably take a vitamin um, D, C and zinc supplement three times a day and you can get the ones where they have all the combo in there and I would take it every three to four hours while you're feeling rotten and the olive leaf extract again is a great um, natural anti-inflammatory so it's good if you've got the tingly skin and the painful nerves it's also a very powerful antiviral so that's a great one to take and then if your skin is really bothering you putting on something don't put anything chemical on your skin putting something on like with calendula in there is very good for just soothing and healing the skin having a cold pack in the fridge and putting it on the nerves generally can help numb the the nerve pain as well Um, and that should pass too in time and very quickly Could Annalise recommend anything to help with a hiatus hernia? Okay so a hiatus hernia is where part of the stomach starts to protrude up between the diaphragm so the diaphragm for our lungs kind of lies over our stomach and then the tube you know, from our mouth, our esophagus tube down into the um, stomach, that goes through the diaphragm. So a bit of the stomach starts protruding up and it can be very painful and you also can get an awful lot of acid reflux. So there isn't anything you can take to manage the um, hiatus hernia because that's a physical problem. And operations are possible, but not always successful. One of the simplest things to do if you're feeling pain is to drink a glass of water, actually, and stand on the second or third step of the stairs and jump down. And it might, you know, actually just tug 
it out of the diaphragm uh, with that bit of weight in it. But to manage your symptoms, you're looking at generally acid reflux um, approach. So you're looking at um, slippery elm just to kind of coat and protect everything from the acid. Uh, it works very, very well because it works as a lovely um, healing as well if there's been any inflammation from acid. The zinc carnosin can help as well because if that little valve at the top of the stomach is also a bit loose and weak, the, the hiatus hernia will push the acid up right up and then that little valve is weak and not holding it in. So zinc carnosin, C-A-R-N-O-Z-I-N, is great for tightening up that valve. And there is a herb called Centaurium, C-E-N-T-A-U-R-I-U-M. Um, Dr. Vogel does one. And that's very good for balancing acid in the stomach. So a combination of some or all of those is probably the best approach. Okay, Mairead is on vitamin D. She takes a vitamin D oral spray. It's D3000. She takes it every second day. Is that okay? That should be fine. You see, Patricia, it's very hard to know unless that person has gone and had their vitamin D levels checked. Genetically, some people are very poor at absorbing vitamin D. So that, like I've done genetic tests on clients over the years, and that is... a specific anomaly and suffer some people. So those people will need a high dose to get the amount actually absorbed into their system and some people could need a much lower dose. So 3,000 every second day generally should be okay but if you really want to be sure you're going to have to get your vitamin D levels checked by your doctor. Okay and a final one from a listener who is on Zenflora the multivitamin. I've uh, been on it for the last four months but I'm still very tired would Annalise recommend something else? Okay, well, Zenflora really is not a multi at all. Zenflora is uh, it's actually a, a cork-based company have developed it. The probiotic, and most people would take it um, because of stress-related IBS. It can work very well for people who get a dodgy stomach when they feel stressed and vice versa when their stomach acts up, they feel worse. Um, so that is what that is designed for. So I would switch just to a good multivitamin. The Oxylent is brilliant. The Source of Life Gold, if you can get your hands on it at the moment, it's out of stock everywhere. That's another lovely one for energy. And Revive Active, they're all very good multivitamins that should give you an energy kick. Okay, listen, have a lovely week and we'll chat again Thanks. next Monday. Thanks a million. That's Annalise Drissel of the Health Hub Times Square and Banning Colleague. All of the items we've mentioned, Annalise will put up on her website, healthhubstore.com as heard on the radio and she'll do that this afternoon. Nutritional advice on C103 with Somega, Ireland's purest range of health supplements to get you through winter. Better nutrition, better health with Somega, a West Cork company. Go Somega.com. And as always, John Paul will put up a podcast of Annalise's slot on C103 later on. That's what I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara, who produced Dick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow. Or today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.